Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello and you're very welcome to this special election edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me in studio, our political editor, Pat Leahy. Hello, Hugh. And his able deputy, Fiac Kelly. Hello, Hugh. We'll be joined in a little while by Jennifer Bray, who is down in the Kant Centre in Balls Bridge. But first, it's been quite a weekend, Pat. Tiring for you? Yep, long, busy weekend, great fun, uh, lots of um, interesting developments, big headlines, shock results, uh, all in the mix there. And uh, obviously, Cannes still going on and uh, will go on for uh, for some time. I mean, I suppose people are familiar by now with the big headlines, obviously, big surge in support for the Greens, not quite the tsunami, I think, that people were talking about on Friday night and because Saturday of the exit poll. morning, um, the RT exit poll had them at 9% uh, in the local elections. It's going to end up somewhere under 6 Uh Again, the RT exit poll had them uh, romping home, had Kieran Cuff romping home in the first count in Dublin in the locals. I think we're now in the, the European elections. I think we're now on the 8th or the ninth count and he's still not elected. So without doubt, a very good result for the Greens, the standout feature of these uh, elections, the best result in the history of the Green Party, but not as overwhelming as uh, as as people originally suspected. The other big thing, and we can talk about the t- the two big parties, which have interesting developments as well uh, in 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 a minute. But the other big standout fact from uh, from the weekend is the collapse of. Sinn Féin, which is a, a, a greater collapse, if you like, on the way down than the green surge uh, on the way up. Really terrible days for Sinn Féin. Yeah, Fiat, the, the, the Sinn Féin result, um, Dan O'Brien, formerly of this parish, now uh, now with uh, independent news and media, was pointing out on Twitter the difference between a percentage decline and a percentage point decline. Uh, so Sinn Féin lost about five or six percentage points from where they were. They're down from about 15, 16% of the vote down to in or around 10%. As, down as, about as far 6%, as percent, yeah, down which nine is, and a half. Which is, down. in terms of, if you looked at it, in their actual percentage decline, it means they lost up to 40% of their vote is gone, which is really a dramatic total. Yeah, and they went, they won 156-ish, 59, yeah. around that high 150 scratch seats in the last local election, 2014. Last night they were hopeful that they would keep their chins above the 100% mark. I don't think that's going to happen now. No, they look more like, they look more like 70, 80 yeah, now, which yeah, is yeah. such a decline from where they were. Now, is this a number that we really had any indication of, apart perhaps from, from the presidential election? You know, in the polls, they were holding up okay. At the very last polls before the election, we did see that green surge. We saw a sign of that. So that obviously, there was something happening there in the last two weeks. Did some, was something happening on the mirror effect of that with Sinn Féin? Yeah, I know in... The recent last year's referendum on repeal, we talked about in this studio, we shouldn't listen to what politicians tell us about the sentiment of the voters because they're not hearing perhaps what a lot of voters are actually thinking. But sometimes you should listen to politicians. And politicians who have who are active in their constituencies 
have been saying for some time that they detected uh, a decrease in activity in Sinn Féin, a lack of confidence in the Sinn Féin organisation, and they felt that Sinn Féin were on the run. So I think it was being detected by people who knew what they were looking for. Perhaps it wasn't detected in opinion polls, but people who were going up against Sinn Féin in council wards, they suspected that all was not well so there. A sense there has been a fairly sharp trend of decline in Sinn Féin support in the opinion polls that we have run uh, that we have run this year. Sinn Féin has been trending down substantially and that continued to the last campaign poll that we did, which was about, uh, about three weeks ago. So the signs were there. I think what has caught everybody, surprise, uh, everybody by surprise is the extent of it and the extent of it in the Dublin heartlands across the working class areas in north side and west side of Dublin that they've taken a huge hit. So you had, I mean, I was surprised to read somewhere, I can't remember exactly where somebody saying, kind of as you're saying there, Fiek, that people were unimpressed by the performance of local councillors. And this is actually a reaction towards, you know, I'm the, not the quality sure. of the of the service. And the, I mean, which I'm not I always would have thought was Sinn Féin were particularly good at. I, I'm not quite sure that that is the case. Do people pay that much attention to the, all the councillors in their ward? Like they will have voted for people, you know, five, six, seven might get elected to city council. Are people keeping as close an eye on them to, to in five years' time go, you know, I don't really, don't really rate that guy. I'm not quite sure that, that is the extent. Uh, the, the point that was being made to me was more that the organisation was withering around the place, particularly in Dublin, where they would have an older demographic of activists who had been involved for a long, long time. Those people were now leaving, not leaving the party, but stepping back from active politics. And that perhaps had an effect on doing the bread and butter uh things that local representatives do, representations, making sure letters are sent out to let people know what's happening, the organisation and council levels. But then the issue of their treatment of councillors, I don't think was, that was a factor. We've had repeated instances of bullying claims within the party, people leaving the party. And then the Sinn Féin reaction to that was way over the top. Like if you look at Finglas Ballymun, councillor Nolan Riley left the party in the last few years and then they ran I think three or four candidates in that ward to try and take, against her. To take yeah. her out and it totally failed she got elected and I think they were, they might not have anybody there a moment of correction on that they might uh, have they might, have, they might have one person scraped in the last time but the I, candidate actually, selection but the, but I, all over I, the country I think I think that was uh, a factor in it as well because it's not just that there was a problem with a couple of councillors mm-hmm. Sinn Féin lost more than 10% of the, of the councillors that they had elected mm-hmm. in uh, five years ago in 2014 owing to some class of a local row and you can see how that has impacted on the organisation in specific areas so you take some place like Tipperary where there's very high profile falling out with the selected candidate Seamus Morris who was due to run for the party he fell out with the party over claims of 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 of, of bullying and so forth within the party so Sinn Féin selected a new candidate for um, uh, to run in the general election and she has failed to get elected to the council she got 267 votes in uh, in Thurla so you can see this sort of localised problem although it's very specific to the area has it is uh, it, it has occurred in so many places around the country for Sinn Féin that I think it has impacted on their uh, on their national vote. And the other thing to say, I think, about it is that we, we, we look for a kind of simple, you know, one or two simple reasons for this. But there's always a number of reasons. And one of the overarching reasons, I think, is the kind of lack 
of a sense of political momentum and political strategy in Sinn Féin that comes from the top of the moment. The point of Mary Lou's, Mary Lou's McDonald's leadership of Sinn Féin, I thought, was to move the party into the middle ground, to get middle class votes and to go into government, she said this explicitly herself, a departure from the pre- party's previous policy under Gerry Adams, to go into government as a minority partner with either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. That strategy, it seems to me, is in ruins at the moment. Isn't the other part of it is that Sinn Féin, um, alongside uh, the AAA PPP as, as well, or Solidarity PPP as they are now, were relying on a sort of mobilised working class support, which didn't come out this time. I mean, the, we should mention that the turnout was, I think, the lowest that we've ever had in a, in a, in a national and a nationwide election. Mm-hmm. And it was particularly... Not quite. It was substantially it was, it was, higher than the presidential election yeah. for a oh, start, and actually yeah, it was, was better than a lot yeah, of people was, had expected. But it was had very expected, low, but it was very low in very working low class areas. Urban, urban urban but nationally, it was broadly in line with five years ago but it was very low in working class areas yeah. So that must have had some impact on support both for the parties for all the parties of the left or certainly the parties of the hard left in Sinn Féin Yeah but like that is, that's commentary on, on them not amending what they're doing to the political climate in which we operate like you know it's an easy explanation to say our vote didn't turn out but they surely knew that sentiment was changing that the anger of five years ago was not there. And if you are in any way a capable political operation, you will amend what you're saying to your audience to make sure that they have a reason to come out and vote. So they may be angry, but you should have copped two or three years ago that that anger that, that you relied on has dissipated and changed accordingly. As Pat says, it seemed that Mary Lou MacDonald was going to do that. She hasn't. She's stuck in this position now where the party sees everything as an outrage. It will try and kind of ignite opinion on certain topics to drive what it sees as this kind of angry vote that's really annoyed with the way it sees society structured at the moment. But that didn't go. And if you look at the European elections, for example, there are so many people on the ballot paper catering to that audience. So you have Sinn Féin, the harder left, and I'm not saying they share their policies, but if you're looking for someone who's angry with the way things are going at the moment, they have a raft of candidates to vote for. Look at Dublin. You have Ben Gilroy, Gemma O'Doherty, all these people who are proclaiming dissatisfaction with the system. And if that's what you're putting your message to, that's a crowded field. I think I think Felix's absolutely right on that. And the fact of the matter is that austerity and reaction to austerity, anger in many cases, is no longer the central animating spirit of a lot of Irish politics as it was five years ago. And those parties in Sinn Féin particularly have failed to take account of that change. And the prime beneficiaries of that, I mean, obviously the Green Party has benefited in one way, but the prime beneficiaries of what we're talking about there have been Fianna Fáil, haven't they? Certainly in urban working class urban, Dublin. Urban working class Dublin and probably kind of that lower middle class vote. So you've heard a lot over the weekend about the strong performance of Fianna Fáil in like, you know, Northside Dublin, Artane, Donamede, etc. But they've also done quite well on South Dublin County Council where they got the highest first preference share uh, they got 19.6% of the vote in South Dublin County Council, where 175 for Fine Gael and 12% for Sinn Féin. Really good performance in Tallis Central, where they got two councillors elected. Yeah, quite Charlie, significant. Charlie yeah. O'Connor and his running mate have both been elected. And they have kind of sneakily had designs on a second seat in that constituency, which is a five-seater at the next election. So from their point of view, it is, it is a successful day in re-establishing themselves in those base areas. And I think for Fianna Fáil, it's almost a kind of for example, Dublin Northwest, the constituency that would traditionally have voted two, when it was a three-seater, regularly elected two Fianna Fáil TDs. They have none there now. That really gets to them because they see that as part of their ID, you know, urban working classes, kind of 
lower middle class voters. And to get that back, I think, will hugely hearten them as this being the next phase of their recovery after 2011. I think very strategic gains to place them for general election gains, but also, I think, a huge morale boost to the Fianna Fáil organisation if it gets Barry Andrews elected as an MEP. But the fact that they are now the largest, like, it's extraordinary we're saying they're the largest party in Dublin City Council mm. from a position in 2011 when they had one TD elected in that general election and then that seat was subsequently lost when Brian Lennon died and the boy election went to Labour Party. Yeah. For the, the, basically the entire duration or almost the entire duration of that doll between 11 and 16, they had no Dublin representation. They're now going to have the Lord Mayor of Dublin probably for the first time in over a decade. And I don't think, like that is a, a big, big factor and probably one of the most notable Developments and they could be confident of picking up seats as VX doesn't play say Dublin Northwest, Dublin Central, Dublin Southwest. Well, they certainly be in the game, in, the game there, in a way. Also. In a way, they weren't. It's funny if you look at the the recast electoral map of Dublin. It shows precisely what we've been talking about with regard to uh, to to Fianna Fáil, the Fianna Fáil comeback in those areas, but also the kind of middle class nature of that green surge. So if you look at the uh, the, uh, the the wards in Dublin City Council south of the Liffey. The Greens topped the poll in every single ward south of the, uh, every single local authority area, local electoral area south of the city in Dublin City County Council. In Dunleary Rath Down, the Greens topped the poll in four of the six uh, 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 electoral areas and came second in the other two. If you go to South Dublin County Council, and um, yeah, you see they t- they only topped the poll in one of those uh, uh, electoral areas, and that was in the most middle class of them in. But Rathfarm there's nothing surprising about that. It has always been thus with the green vote, hasn't it? In true highs and lows, its peaks at its peak at the I suppose slightly over ten years ago, <coughs> those were its strongholds: Dunleary, South Dublin. In a situation though, South? where Finnegale saw itself as the party of Dublin and the party of middle class Dublin. That is a matter of concern for them. So even if you look at the tallies from Castleknock, Leo Varadkar's home match, Fine Gael 27% of the vote, as you would expect, but you'd expect them to be higher given that the Taoiseach is the local TD. The Greens, 26% of the vote. So if you're targeting an extra seat in that area, if you're hoping that Leo Varadkar would bring in a running mate, Neymar Curry, that's a concern to you. They were hoping for a second seat in Dublin Bay North with Catcher Noon. They're concerned about the Green surge there. And then where they did well was... You know, Kalini, Dalky, pockets of South Dublin, where they put on some seats on a few councils, but that was we've discussed here before. Their headroom for growth is limited out there. That yes, Neil Richmond might take out uh, Shane Ross and get a second seat Hard in Rathdown. Hard to see any other. But and they are dead. They will be down a seat in Dunleary Rathdown with Sean Barrett retiring. They have a TD who's under pressure now, and Maria Bailey in Dunleary Rathdown. So it's hard to see. Those seats where they confidently predicted if they were on 36, 37%, 38% in Dublin, that they would get the second seats. In in like Fingal, for example, they wanted a second seat with James Riley. Dublin West doesn't look like it's going to happen. That not. just looks they're on twenty five percent. That look, yeah, and that that is the reality. And it just they may recover. Like the Green vote, the big question is, does that Green vote stick to the next election? Probably not in its entirety. How successful is Finnegale in getting that middle class vote back? But they will have seriously checked their ambitions in some parts of Dublin now, I think. And that's where the reassessment this week will be for them. OK, speaking of Dublin, we're actually going to go over to Jennifer Bray now. Jennifer, what's the situation right now at the count? So I am in the RDS here at the moment. Uh, we've just had the eighth count in the Dublin Euros. 
um, which has seen Ben Gilroy eliminated. So we have a situation whereby, unsurprisingly, Kieran Cuff of the Green Party uh, looks at the top of the poll, though he hasn't actually reached quota as of yet. Um, then uh, second to him, we have Francis Fitzgerald, um, who is currently just below 60,000 votes. And then we've got Barry Andrews. And for the fourth seat, we've got a scrap between Sinn Féin's Lynn Boylan and Independent for Change, uh, Claire Daly. And the general read seems to be that Claire Daly has that one in the bag. Yeah, I think so. You know, she's kind of regarded as being much more transfer friendly. Uh, she was here last night in the RDS. She looked very, very pleased with herself. Um, tallies do show that she, she is transferring well. So, I mean, it is a bit of a scrap. I mean, it is still tight enough between them. Um, as of the eighth count, Claire Daly had 44,159 votes and Lynn Boylan had 40,470. So the question really would be, where is Lynn Boylan going to get those transfers from? And given the weekend Sinn Féin have had, uh, you wouldn't be overly optimistic. Well, you would have thought, Pat, that the I mean, the main kind of buckets of transfers that are going to be available, obviously, the longer those other candidates, you know, fail to meet the quota, some of them will go to Kieran Cuff or Francis Fitzgerald. Um, but, you know, you're going to have 5 or 6% of the vote went to Labour, 5 or 6% of the vote went to the Social Democrats. There's smaller votes to the smaller left-wing parties who are kind of in the same gene pool uh, as Claire Daly was. So that all looks pretty good for her, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the figures in front of me here, but from memory, there's a few big parcels of votes that have been to be uh, uh, to be distributed. There'll be Alex White's, Alice Mary Higgins, Mark Durkin's, Gary Gannon's. And uh, I suppose the question is how many of those are needed to take both Cuff and Fitzgerald to the uh, uh, to the quota because there's any doubt that they'll be the first two seats. I could see a pattern of distributions that gives Claire Daly the third seat and Barry Andrews the fourth, but it's really too early to say uh, at this stage. And Fia, could I ask you about that? And maybe you can fill us in on this because the fourth seat in Dublin and indeed the fifth seat in Ireland South. Um, should Claire Daly, who's a sitting TD, be elected to that fourth seat, she won't take it um, uh, until the United Kingdom leaves the European Union, if that happens. And so therefore, there won't be a requirement for a by-election. No, the six-month deadline, which is that the writ for the by-election must be moved within six months of a vacancy arising. Six-month countdown will not begin until Claire Daly takes her seat. So let's, for argument's sake, say the British leave on October 31st. Claire Daly is an MEP from November the 1st. The by-election must be held within six months, or the writ must be moved within six months. Six of, months of, of what? Of November the 1st. Okay. So at the at the, 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 the usual, uh, since Pierce Doherty took the case in 2010, uh, it's a six-month, you have to hold the by-election within six months of a vacancy arising. It's slightly more uh, di- difficult this time because of the situation where the UK hasn't left the EU. In a normal course of events in a European parliamentary election, the six-month deadline begins from the day somebody is deemed elected. So let's say Kieran Cuff is declared elected in the next few hours, then the six-month deadline begins today. That is not the case for any European Parliament seats this time. For any at all? No. Not even the last ones? No. Not even the conditional no. ones? There's okay. some sort of amendment that the six months for everybody, so Francis Fitzgerald gets elected. Uh, sorry, Kieran Cuff is not going to be a TD. So excuse me, let's say Francis yeah. Fitzgerald gets elected later on today. Um, the six-month countdown will not begin today. It will begin on the day of the first plenary sitting of the European Parliament, which is on July the 2nd. So the writ will have to be moved by January 2nd. 
if re- she's in the top three. Okay, so it isn't because I've, I've heard some people um, the saying, yeah, the saying, they saying that they were going to have to be he was, he was by elections before Christmas. No. But it, 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 it's very tight. Like, if, if France Fitzgerald is elected today, you're not going to move a writ on January the 2nd you, having a by election. You might want to have a by election at the, for argument's sake, the start of November rather than the end of January. And, and another complicating factor is Claire Daly will remain a TD until the, the point when she becomes an MEP. So. You could have a by you could have a by election for Francis Fitzgerald and Billy Kelleher too together, and then you would have to have another by election for Claire Daly a couple of months later. Jennifer, I mean, are there representatives of the different parties involved in this? Presumably, are down there at the moment. Do you get a sense of them how they're feeling about all the kind of stuff which Fiac is talking about here, but more broadly, how the election's gone for them? Sinn Fein, for example, we were discussing just before we got onto you. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, representatives from all the parties down here. Um, I haven't spoken to that many from Sinn Fein. Just a couple. And they're obviously extremely disappointed. Um, I am picking up a sort of latent anger, not necessarily at Mary Lou, but just about her general performance, about the, maybe the way in which she went about the last couple of months and kind of the post-mortem about why they ended up where they are. Um, Fianna Fáil, uh, plenty of Fianna Fáilers around. They're quite buoyant, obviously. They've, all things considered, had a, had a pretty good election Um Obviously, not necessarily in the in the Europeans. I think all of the parties that I've anybody I've spoken to down here, everybody has one thing that they can hang on to. That's you know a positive thing, a way to spin it. Labour have a way of spinning it. Fine Gael can point towards their success, well, probable success in the Europeans um, as a way of getting out of the fact that they really haven't done very well in the locals. Um, Labour are interesting in that everybody I've spoken to in and around that float around the ODS and and the area. They're kind, they are talking about Brendan Howland's leadership. Now, I asked him about it yesterday when he arrived and he didn't seem that pleased to be asked about it, understandably. He said to me that he couldn't understand really the question given the fact that, as he put it, they're going to make a 25% uh, gain, an increase in their councillors. But if you look at the figures from 2014, I think they uh, they secured around 51 seats as far as, as far as I'm aware and... As of the moment, they're in and around 54. Now, I am aware that a lot of councillors left after 2014 and that only 37 sought re-election, but that's still not great. So, you know, there, there's chatter there about him. There's chatter in, in Sinn Féin about Mary Lou, about how she's going to rebuild the party, about the direction has not worked and what's next, so there'll be post-mortem there. Chatter in Fine Gael about the fact that Leo hasn't really given them the bounds and the fact that, you know, in, in Fianna Fáil that... Well, actually, it actually seems quite positive and fall by the Europeans. So that's what I'm hearing in and around. So, and just in relation to Labour, because I know you had, a, you had a piece about that in this morning's newspapers, do they feel, because they did seem to have a sense themselves internally that they were going to get a bit of a bounce in this election, they feel they were squeezed by the Greens in particular and maybe also by the Social Democrats? They do, yeah. There seems to be a real kind of jostling on the left to kind of grab those, those number ones. And they do feel like that kind of green wave um, which some are arguing has has been slightly overstated. I mean, it's been overstated in that if you compare them to the parties, it's not necessarily amazing. But in and of where they were starting from, it is very, very impressive. So you can look at it that way. But yeah, they they have they do feel and Brendan Howland said it himself that they have been they've been squeezed out in that regard by the green vote, um, possibly in the Europeans and in and in the locals. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I think everybody has felt it. Catherine Murphy said to me yesterday that the co-leader of the Sock Dems. She said she felt it that she was felt they were fishing in the same pond for the Labour votes, and perhaps that's not the, why they hadn't reached the twenty councillor market, which was their aim. But they're still doing quite well. On my last count, they have around fifteen councillors. Um, it's pretty good for them that 
a couple of losses. They didn't manage to elect their political director, Anne-Marie McAnally and Lucan. And she had heavily canvassed the area twice, I'm told, since January. So, you know, it's not all good news for them. But, yeah, there's a real squeeze on the left. Yeah, that kind of soft left vote, if that's not too too insulting, uh, Pat. Uh, the Greens, Labour, the Social Democrats. I asked for a few questions coming in on Twitter before we, before we recorded this. And somebody was asking me about that, whether the Greens main, uh, I suppose, the achievement here was in capturing that relatively soft, wavering, often quite middle-class centre-left vote. And Uh, therefore, basically eating Labour's lunch, among other things. Yeah, I think that's happening to to a certain extent. But, you know, I mean, we've talked about in the studio before, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem for the left that comes up all the time, which is the splintering of the vote. I mean, obviously, the Greens have a very particular appeal to that vote which is certainly resonating with voters at the moment but even if you take that out of it you have Labour Social Democrats and a variety of centre-left independents both in councils and uh, and in the Dáil and their support is splintered and they are they, are, they have no political cohesion and therefore they are less effective at bringing about their policy goals. That's not rocket science. But the Social Democrats had a sort of sticky campaign because there were internal divisions fake, you know, between Gary Gannon and the leadership and the question of the candidacy of Ellie Kisyombe. And uh, they didn't seem like an entirely happy camp. They probably did. They did well enough to feel that they're, yeah, they're, that they're you know, they, they, they have, have a, a future. A future. Yeah. I, yeah. I think they did quite well. Like Speaking to a couple of their councillors this morning, they were quite happy with what they they think they'll get around 18 seats when it's all done. They think that's a good day's work. I think it was a big test for them to prove that they were a viable force, that they that they would be some a party that will remain in existence for some time. I think the challenge now for this mooted uh, alliance of the left that Brendan Howland has spoken about before the elections is that neither the Social Democrats or the Greens will have any great incentive in to enter into a a, a formal alliance, maybe a transfer pact. But if you were the Green Party, you would kind of believe yourselves to be the coming force on the left, that you've had a good elections, you would have a chance of perhaps outstripping the Labour Party in a dull election. The Social Democrats will believe that they have also done well and that why would they tie themselves to the Labour Party, which has put on some seats, but is a bit become. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see that alliance of the left basically turn into a transfer pact to the next election and little else besides until that's the obvious I mean that that's the obvious thing to do if you were trying to bring it about what you would do is you would try and do a transfer pact before the election and then maybe uh, an after alliance and coalition uh, an, an alliance before coalition after the election which In would give them the negotiating clout with either Fianna Fáil and would a transfer pact be effective? Well, you could see it in certain Dublin constituencies where together they'll amass, you know, somewhere north of 20% of the vote, somewhere between 20 and 30% of the vote, those three parties. Won't yeah, they? well, sure. Look, just yeah. look at the candidate slate in the local, uh, in the European elections in Dublin uh, for evidence of that. Alex, uh, Alex White, Gary Gannon, Gary Gannon um, uh, Alice Mary Higgins. You know, I mean, there's... The, the contest will be at the next generation to be the dominant party within that alliance. So the Labour Party, what, has seven seats now? Fairness to the Labour Party, the areas in which it is aiming for TDs, 
it, it got there or it yeah, got a like result. Jed Nash had a really good really performance well. yeah. with his local representatives, representatives up and loud. And when you couple that with the collapse in the Sinn Féin vote, you would have to think that he is a really good chance of getting in. You know, J- Jane Horgan Jones getting re-elected. Labour Party doing okay-ish in working class areas in the north side would bode well Patchy, for... But- some signs Although we always assume that Finian McGrath would be at risk but his councillor Damien O'Farrell topped Top the poll at Clontarf yeah. so there perhaps it may not be as easy for Aon if he was aiming for that particular week spot maybe Tommy Broom made the one's target but you know the Labour Party can't take some positives away from it much as everybody else can um, I suppose um, finally um, Jen just thinking about that the, the other party on the left or parties on the left had a bad time which was Solidarity and the PBP. They've acknowledged that publicly in Dublin, which was where most of their strongholds were. They were right down to kind of 2 to 3% of the vote. And they lost seats. And, and then, I suppose, their transfers in the end. Um, Fiat just mentioned the, the, the Clontarf award there. That was what put the Social Democrat over the line, Catherine Stocker, and got her elected. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I think they, of all the groups that would be disappointed on the left, perhaps they would be the most disappointed. They've lost out to pretty much, it seems, everybody um, and, and they've really, really felt the squeeze. And obviously, if you look at the Europeans, um, they haven't obviously made it made an impact there either. And the one thing I would say, just on your point about the uh, transfer and, or the civic alliance or, or this kind of idea of all the, all the parties grouping together at a local level and potentially at a national level, is that what I'm picking up is that the Greens right now aren't quite so hot on that idea. You know, they're, they're obviously open to it. But Labour, I feel like I really, really kind of cling to it almost as in a way to sort of, you know, find that relevancy again. And I think it was telling that uh, Eamon Ryan said uh, yesterday that he wanted to keep all the options open. He wouldn't just want to be talking to one party, he wants to talk to all the parties. Um, and this came, I think, an hour before Brendan Howland did a doorstep in uh, the RDS, where he said that he was meeting Eamon Ryan next week to, to have a proper discussion after preliminary talks last week. So I, I am just detecting that the Green Party obviously want to keep all their doors open. Everyone's making bedroom eyes at them. Yes, absolutely. But the Labour, they're really, I think they're really focusing on it and they really want mm. it. It looks like they will have, they will work together in, in a couple of councils. So the emerging majority in the city council seems to be a alliance between Fianna Fáil, the Labour Party and the Greens. Similarly in Fingal, it seems to be the Labour Party and the Greens were speaking, talking to each other over the weekend, but Perhaps Fianna Fáil will have to row in there as well. So they will have to work together to to, to some extent uh, with, with Fianna Fáil. So that might be interesting to see how those parties get on in advance of how they may cooperate on a national level after a general election. Jen, we'll leave you there. It sounds like somebody's washing the cutlery behind you. So, uh, all then. the count staff are eating their. Uh, they're all eating their lunch. They're not. They're Good not for well, you, well, you should okay. eat your. You should eat your lunch too. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon. So, I mean, we've been talking almost exclusively about the local elections. Um, and I think from the point of view of most of the political parties, it's safe to say that the local elections are the most important ones in terms of figuring out what's going to happen at the quote-unquote real election, the general election. Yeah, it's a fair point because you're looking to establish yourself in communities and areas where you want to to, to gain dull seats. And, you know, in terms of campaigning, local elections share many aspects with general elections in that the issues people bring up are, lo- are like, you know, although in general election national politics dominate, there is a focus on the local area and in 
the local elections, they obviously are hugely exclusive to concerns around the area. So you're looking to build that base and to re- strategically win gains that will give you candidates, but also give you candidates and an organisation that can support another candidate to get elected to the Dáil. So what lessons to be taken then from the parties in terms of arraying their battle forces, Pat, for the next election? Do, do the shape of some of the contests, what are seen as some of the key contests, change now as a uh, as a result of this? I I think it's um, I think it's pretty clear that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are more or less in a dead heat at the moment in, in advance of uh, of the next election. I mean, you look at the uh, there, there's you know percent and a half, two percent between them uh, in uh, in in the local vote. Um, I think we've identified some of those kind of key battlegrounds in terms of those swing seats in uh, in Dublin. We'll take a bit of time over, I suppose, the coming days to actually drill down into the locals and see what it'll likely mean for the disposition of forces in advance of the uh, of the general election. But what about something? I just asked something like, say, Fine Gael, who had a terrible time in Munster. Yeah, I was at the last election. Are they, you know, they were very keen to seize to get some of that ground. They didn't back. do as well as they thought they were going to do. They have basically maintained their level. Uh, Fianna Fáil will be the largest party as if this morning could change on Cork County Council. They will be the larger party by about one or two seats on the county council. They'll also be the larger party on the city council. And I was looking at West Cork in particular where Fine Gael was targeting for targeting local elections gains because they had a really bad day there in the last local election and a bad day in the general election. And they've held their own. No major gains. Uh, so they have increased their vote share as of Fianna Fáil, but hasn't been the huge breakthrough that they wanted in Cork. And so the parties are neck and neck. You've talked very often about our electoral process being a two-step one now, in that we have the election itself, and then we have the process of negotiation. Um, so it could be, if you have two parties neck and neck, it's going to be about which party perhaps has the better negotiating skills that, rather than which party has the most seats. Yeah, I think that's that's right, and yeah, I mean, I've I've I've, I've droned on at great and tedious length about this uh, in the past, Feel and now on. propose to do so again. Um, but uh, I think after the election results in the next general election come through, then the second stage, which is the race to uh, establish a Dáil majority, or at least a an unassailable lead in Dáil seats by way of an alliance with the smaller parties. That made that puts the pressure on the other party, be it Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, who are behind in that process to support the next government by means of a confidence and uh, com- another confidence and supply agreement. I think one of the things that we can take away from these emerging results is that where previously we would have said going on a, a, a slate of published opinion polls over recent years that Fianna Gael would probably come in ahead mm. of Fianna Fáil in dull seats, but that Fianna Fáil had a chance of overtaking them by means of alliances if it could get its numbers close enough uh, to, to Fianna Fáil uh, or to, to Fianna Gael. I think, as I say, what I think one of the takeaways from this is, is that we cannot assume now that Fianna Gael will have more seats than Fianna Fáil after the next election. Now, there's obviously an awful lot of water has to go under the bridge before Mm -hmm. we get to that point. And a campaign matters and uh, what the three weeks of the campaign, three or four weeks of the campaign is fought on and how the parties fight it will matter a lot. But certainly from the starting point that we're looking at now, I think the Fine Gael advantage 
has evaporated a bit. There's a path there for Fianna Fáil to outstrip Fine Gael in terms of dull seats that wasn't evident before and you can see how that can be done now. Because of the growth in Dublin, they are evenly matched pretty much everywhere around the country in terms of vote share. And then you look at the Fianna Fáil improvement in Dublin and you see the capacity to add a couple of seats to close the gap to Fine Gael. So Pat is right, whereas before we'd assumed that Micheál Martin could cobble something together, he's now level with Fraga. One other thing that actually it might be a consequence of the Sinn Féin collapse, if reflected in the general election, we always operate under the assumption that the next government could be a minority government, but the main blockage to coalition formation in that in that chamber is a sizable Sinn Féin. If they lose a significant number of seats at they the next election, somewhere. they have to go somewhere. Do they go to parties that will want to go into government and does that clear the road to a majority government? So if, if the Greens, if Labour, if Fianna Fáil pick up seats from Sinn Féin, that kind of block that nobody will deal with in Leinster House is, is, is smaller. Is smaller. Now, if There's I also was... another, just one, one, one other point to add to that, which is goes back over something that we've said already, which is that if you're looking at Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, more or less within a handful of seats evenly matched, that gives even more clout to uh, any other block, any other alliance, be that made up solely of the Greens or the Greens and Labour and the Social Democrats and Independents or who else. If they can come together, if you can put together a block of 20 TDs, however you put it together and however it is composed, then you will probably decide who is in the next government Mm -hmm. And you'll have a very, 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 very strong influence of it. Now, if I was Leo Varadkar and I was listening to this podcast, which I'm sure he does, um, (laughs) I would would be trying to figure out, if I accepted your your theses, uh, I would try to figure out how am I going to change this narrative over the next six to eight months? And what what tools does he have, have at his disposal to do that? They have been out over the weekend saying, we hear what you're saying on climate change. We are going to enact policies that will, you know, move us in a much better direction when it comes to dealing with climate action. But they've also been saying something that I thought was very interesting. They have repeatedly said, we are going to have to make the tough decisions that need to be made. And I just wonder if they are going to, they have to spell out, okay, as we spoke in this podcast about last week, the actual policy choices that need to be made that will directly yeah. impact people's tough lives. Choices that tough people choices. Won't like. yeah. Costing you money to insulate your home, changing your car. And is that a way of, as some people have said, confronting some middle-class voters with the reality of what voting green may actually mean in the relatively short term, as Fine Gael would see it over a, a longer time scale. And I think, you know, there, is people, there are many people in Fine Gael who think that a lot of that middle-class vote will come back. But uh, I just wonder if Eamon Ryan manages to maintain the message that climate change is the issue and this is not an electoral fad. We are the only ones who can deal with this issue. They, may, they probably will fall back, but not to a, a large extent. And they may provide a block to Fine Gael's potential growth. I think there are two very significant advantages that Leo Varadkar and, uh, brings to that particular task. The first is he is in government. He has the power of action. And governments can do things. Oppositions can just talk. Governments can do things. They can make the political weather to a large uh, to a large degree. The second advantage he has goes hand in hand with that, which is that he, uh, he is presiding over an economy that is in rude good health. The jobs numbers last week 
were uh, were quite striking about the uh, about the health of the economy in terms of how it's trickling down to people. I think where he has a difficulty in that is he has to convince people that this is somehow that the strength of the economy is related to Fine Gael's stewardship of it, and that is a problem or, or that is 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 a task that has been damaged by things like the children's hospital in some areas by bro- uh, by, uh, by 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 the broadband announcement by a looseness in an emerging looseness in fiscal policy that uh, that sort of thing that they can damage that but he has if he plays it properly very significant advantages to bring to the task but he and his party haven't played it particularly well over the last while I don't want to make too much of this but I got to make reference to the story that I have no doubt is top of our most read as we speak right now which is this kind of storm in a teacup about uh, Maria Bailey on the swing in the Dean Hotel here's Maria Bailey on Sean work today just clarify one thing did you have something in each hand um when this happened? Sean, that would have been a case for the judge to adjudicate on. No, and I'm what not is your recollection? Into... Sean, I am not opening a trial here. No, I, but people, have been... I mean, it's a legitimate question to ask you because mm. this, you came here to talk about sure. this whole case and why you've sure. dropped it. Now, for you not to be able to tell me, and you've dropped the case, so d- the question of a judge doesn't actually arise. Well, I'm actually just simply it asking does. you to tell it me actually does, what Sean, happened. And I tell you why it does matter. Because I believe in our judicial system in this country, and I believe the proper place for that is the four courts. But and you're not I, going there now. Sean, and I, let me tell you why I'm not going there. So, due to the unbelievable abuse. I wasn't able to go home for three days last week because journalists were sitting outside my home. That is an invasion of my privacy and humanity has been crossed. OK, also, we'll just go back to the bottles let then. Me just, can I just say this, Sean? So, uh, Maria Bailey there. Now, as I said, I, I don't want to make too much of this. It's a somewhat ridiculous story, but it's about a, a case which she took for uh, damages for uh, an accident, which she says took place on a swing in the Dean Hotel, which is a fashionable hotel in the centre of Dublin, before she became a TD and she then dropped the case um, last week. It's sort of in a long tradition of car crash radio interviews in Irish politics. I was thinking of Joe Jacob, Ivor Cowley, indeed Brian Cowan um, from the Thinking in Galway. Uh, it's as bad as any of those. And I suppose the reason I played that, Pat, is because you're saying quite rightly that Leo Varadkar has his hands on the levers of power. But equally in government, just silly things can come along and slip you up. And they just they just dent further your reputation for competence and professionalism and the rest of it. And silly things like that often tend to happen to governments that don't have discernible purpose or don't have forward momentum and there's a sense all around this government that it is reaching the end or has reached the end of its natural lifespan but an election isn't on the immediate uh, isn't discernible in the immediate Does that mean it's too late for a reshuffle? There was a lot of talk beforehand that if Fine Gael got a bad result, there would be a reshuffle. Tisha has ruled it out, although some people who might like to be shuffled in or shuffled out, uh, I, I think, are still uh, are still in favour of uh, are still in favour of it. Um, you know, Fine Gael didn't do badly in these elections because of this uh, this court case, but it certainly didn't help them, and it certainly appears to have come up a fair bit on doorsteps because it's the sort of thing that people latch on to and I think they will continue to do so after that interview this morning mm. The one thing about um, you know this government being tired you know has looked it's kind of obvious it's been around for quite a while people in Fine Gael would like to see the next election being a repeat the general election of 2007 when the voters were falling out of love with a party that had been in office for two terms 
but balked at the last at going to the opposition across the House. But there are a couple of issues at play in that election. One was Enda Kenny himself. He wasn't a very popular leader of the opposition. He was ridiculed by Fianna Fáil. Uh, they really went to work on damaging his standing. The second was, you know, storm clouds on the horizon in terms of the economy. Fianna Fáil really played into that. I just wonder, like, let's say Brexit will be a, a huge issue over the next election. But did those dynamics apply again? So you could have a tired government, but the what's facing them across the chamber in Michal Martin is someone who isn't as open to ridicule as Fianna Fáil ridiculed Enda Kenny in 2007. He's been around a long time. He has served in government, whether that is for good or ill, depending on your political persuasion. And he has built up a reputation as being a responsible politician who puts the national interest ahead of party politics, as he would see it. There may be a different dynamic. And I wonder, is this one of those elections which goes against that thing that people will hold on to what they have like the one thing that people in Fine Gael have told themselves again and again and again is in a situation when the economy is growing like it is it is never the case in any western democracy that the in- the incumbent government is booted out but our, pl- our views of politics as normal have well, been offended to change, to change. Yeah. I mean this is yeah, like, we, so we have for that to be effective people need to associate the strength of the economy with the government that is in place and I don't think that is the case yeah. at the moment and there's significant polling uh, evidence to suggest that it's not. Just briefly on the other parts of the European election, which are still in train, we haven't gone into them in detail, is because it, I'm not sure, even sure if we've achieved first scans um, yet in uh, in the other two Irish constituencies. But I, I mean, I just ask the definition of insanity is making the same mistake more than once, isn't it? And that's what Fianna Fáil did in uh, in Midlands North West, didn't they? With the with the two candidate strategy and well, two unsuccessful candidates at that. Up to up to a point, I think uh, the principal problem that they had, that Fianna Fáil had in that constituency was that, not that they ran two candidates, but that they didn't get enough votes for uh, for any of them. If they'd run one candidate, they wouldn't be getting elected on 9%, 8 or 9%. So it's candidate choice. Of the vote. So it's candidate choice and failure to, uh, for those candidates to actually register with the election, with, with the voters. Like when you look at the Midlands North West debate last evening, or last week, you have in Saoirse McHugh, a young candidate who is clearly not new into politics, refreshing approach to the way she composed herself. You have Maria Walsh running for Fine Gael. Similarly, you know, campaign may be in a bit kind of substance-free. And then you have Brendan Smith, who looks like a man who was in government 10 years ago and trying to beg people to remember that he was Minister for Agriculture. was poor candidate selection. And also, I wonder what effect Peter Casey's running had on the Fianna Fáil vote. Now, Fianna Fáilers will tell you privately that they believe that their people voted for Casey in the presidential election in significant numbers. And I wonder if that followed through to the European election. And doesn't it point up an issue, even if Fianna Fáil have had a pretty good election in general, there was a startling number from the exit poll, albeit I know the exit poll has been cast into some discredit and disrepute now because of some of the numbers, but that in that constituency, um, you know, they, they asked people their age by certain demographics and they had people they asked that not... The, the support for Brendan Smith among 18 to 25-year-olds in the exit poll was 0%. And he certainly didn't look like a candidate who was going to really appeal to 18 to 25-year-olds. No, as as opposed, as Fiat says, as opposed to Marie Walsh and uh, and Saoirse McHugh. I mean, if you run ageing TDs as yeah, candidates, think, then... Like, if think anything, that, that, think that, that old happen. idea that... The European Parliament will just stand somebody who was a minister, and you know people remember it. It'll be fine. Yeah. That 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 is gone now. 
Okay, and we're going to talk a bit more about the European elections in podcasts to come because we'll be back in your feed again on Wednesday. But until then, thanks for now to Pat, to Fiak and to Jennifer for joining us from Bowles Bridge. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Thanks to all of you for listening. Remember, you can listen to all our podcasts at irishtimes.com slash podcast. You can mail me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. Until the next time, thanks very much indeed for joining us. 